0: Willy Wu, author of The Bitcoin Forecast on Substack, it's a pleasure to have you here. You of course are very well known on Twitter as well as a passionate advocate of Bitcoin and one of the early pioneers of on-chain analytics. First, before we jump in, for people who may not know what on-chain analytics are all about, give us a thumbnail sketch.
1: Okay, um, Ash, so like, you know, Bitcoin, um, you know, when people approach Bitcoin, um Maybe from another market um particularly equities, like they're used to having um metrics behind companies that they're investing in and of course bitcoin's a network it, it doesn't have any of these sort of profit and losses and um you know strategic quarterly reports um so like but all we do have is this um very visible um ledger that's it's that's totally. Um, available on the on the blockchain so um, this field is really grabbing the data on the um, on the blockchain and essentially dissecting it for signal um, you know for example you know like if the if the price is going about to crash you you can often see Um, you know, telltale signs like long term investors, maybe, um, investors that have been in the market for five years starting to sell. And obviously, those are the investors that have more experience in the market than the guys that just bought six months ago who are, who are buying, you know. So that tells you something about what's happening. Underneath um, the market, um, underneath those charts that we see with as speculators and traders, which is you know price and volume, um, with um, on-chain analysis, you see kind of like a um, ECG of the entire animal of of Bitcoin. Exactly what's happening, the different um, facets of the network, um, what investors are doing, what miners are doing, um, what exchanges. Are doing um, even what um, corporations are doing when they're buying or selling. So um, there's a forensic trail of um, the demand and supply <clears throat> in this entire market seen on the on the blockchain.
0: Yeah, you talk about this as almost an electrocardiogram of the market, uh, the ability to get. A, a current state, a health check on where things are at. As we have this conversation here uh, at the very beginning of September, where do you see markets at right now? What are your on-chain analytics telling you? Uh, yeah, it's it's quite unprecedented right
1: now. Like, um, you know, we're, what is it, getting on our twi- 12th year into um, this network. And um, for all of this, we've seen this very um, you know, cyclical behavior between um, bull and bear cycles every four years, um, you know, the, the halvening um, has had a lot to do with it, where every four years the 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 miner's um, reward gets halved, and therefore the amount that they sell onto the market um, is reduced by half, and that produces this sort of bullish impulse to the to market. So we're currently in this like um, bull market coming off a halvening, and Um, Most people are expecting a bear market into 2022 because that's the cyclical nature, the four-year cycle of Bitcoin compared to, you know, like maybe a 10-year cycle for macro macro markets. Um, But what's interesting right now is that right now um, we're seeing a peak kind of reaccumulation by long-term investors. Um, And, you know, whenever you see this level of reaccumulation by long-term investors, it's usually the fuel to drive another um, bullish rally, you know, of multiple months. And so as we come into the fourth quarter of this year, we expected a, a, a very strong rally um, and then a blow off top. You know, that's the normal um, the m- normal expectation on the cycle nature. But right now it's like, wow, the, the data is showing that um, the structure is completely different from every other cycle. And um, if it's correct, then this bull market is um not going to end um next like end of this year it's going to go well into next year and um potentially there's a lot of evidence now I'm seeing quantitatively with this data to show that that four year structure is breaking down um so we were locked into this kind of four year cycle and perhaps now we're <clears throat> we're breaking free of the gravitational pull of this this hardening impulse and um the demand and supply from investors and all the parts of the ecosystem are more predominant and so in that regard we might just continue to run up with these you know, um typically fifty percent pullbacks, um, which isn't much of a pullback if you've been in Bitcoin long enough. You know, we're used to like eighty percent pullback over a year. Um and we've just had one of these fifty percent pullbacks and, you know, a consolidation of just barely over two months and then we're off to the races again. So I could totally see that being the the more um you know the more more um well the, the behavior of Bitcoin in the coming years where um, we do this kind of random walk of price discovery as it finds its um, price at at network saturation, um, where everyone's using um, this network. So yeah, um, that's the most interesting thing right right now um, to me.
0: Yeah. I should say, as we have this conversation here on the morning of September 2nd, uh, here on the East Coast of New York, Bitcoin once again, above over 50,000 here today. You talk about uh, this as a very bullish outlook that you see, this kind of off to the races framework that you see as a setup. Give us a little sense, Willie, uh, beneath the surface, what are the metrics that you're looking at uh, to determine this and how are you extrapolating that view? Okay, it's a real good question. I mean, like when I look at the network, there's
1: like, um, there's so many different metrics you can look at and they all get used in different parts of the cycle. and currently, the the most um, reliable metrics are all the um, all the the views into demand and supply, um, both locally and um, in the macro sense. So, um, you know, I'm looking at a chart right now in front of me, and it's looking at what the long term investors are doing. And so, for example, you now I work with um, Glassnode, which does the the um, raw um, on-chain data and they process it and it's a service that many people can use. Um, I pull that in and, you know, like, for example, like um, they do a metric called liquid supply and, you know, you, you can look at the, the blockchain, you can see the millions and millions of addresses, there's a multitude of addresses and then they do the hard work of going, these addresses who owns them, and they can cluster these addresses into like what looks like entities, individual participants of, that, that have their wallets spread across all these addresses. And then they um, look at the interactions between them and the historical interaction. And this, this metric is very, very telling because they can categorize the, the guys that, that buy. Um, They buy without selling, you know, like 75% of their transactions are more Bitcoins coming in, very few leaving. And then they have another category, which is liquid and highly liquid. And those guys are more speculative. Um, You look at their history and they buy and they sell and they trade. Um, So um, we can kind of look at that movement between um, speculative hands and long-term holders. And um, obviously, as all the supply moves to the long-term holders, guys that do not sell, you create a um, huge supply shock. Um, and there's a, there's a shortage of coins left by the speculators and the price just runs up. And so that's kind of like a demand and supply um, view using their historic behavior. And so that's one of my favorites. Another one is just share um, doing the same thing, but much rougher, like you say anything in, in, in a wallet held by self custody or cold storage. Those are the coins you cannot buy. And the coins you can buy are the coins that are left on the exchanges. And you can run that ratio and you get the similar kind of um, metric. And that's demand and supply also. The the supply is what's on exchanges and the demand is that that is held by investors have got that locked away in cold storage. So those kind of metrics are, are the most telling and um, and reliable because, um, you know, like, I mean, I, I cut my teeth using um, volume on on. On the on the network because that was kind of like a proxy to um, buying and selling right um, there's direct relationship if, if I'm going to um, buy some coins off someone else they're gonna send it to me and you can read that volume moving into my wallet as a um, as a trade and so the more trades you get the more investors are coming in so you can look at volume as a proxy to The investment activity and some of the early stuff was like, um, based on that, like um, my first metric, which was the first signal for um, the first on-chain signal for for the coin was NBT, which just ran the ratio of that essential volume between investors and um, the market cap. And so very much like price earnings ratio, you have the share price and how much earnings. Um, that company had. You can run a ratio of its valuation. You've got now in Bitcoin land a um, valuation, the market cap of Bitcoin, and um, how much investment activity is going, which is the sheer volume moving between investors. And that became NVT ratio. And you can see oscillations, you know, when it's high network um, activity by investors um, and very low Valuation, then you know it's undervalued. So that's another thing we can do, but um, it's less reliable than this latest generation stuff, which, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like the network keeps changing. And um, when you look at sheer volume, you cannot see, you know, like what we've seen in the last um, four years, a mass migration of transactions moving to, um, behind the firewall of exchanges, and you cannot see what the investment activity is really happening inside those exchanges. So you're losing signal, and um, and so yeah, that that's another thing around this this um, on chain field is it's con- constantly changing because um, the network's changing. You know, we're now moving into an era where we have layers above the base chain. You know, whether that be exchanges or you know, this the the popular the the popular thing right now is Lightning Network. So now there's a certain amount of transactions moving to that network that's above the base layer, which we cannot see. So those are examples where things change all the time, and you really need to understand what's happening with the network in order to account for it.
0: Yeah, it's such a fascinating space and a fascinating time Uh, for people who may be watching this who are coming to us, for example, uh, as equity investors who have only recently become interested in Bitcoin. um, I can imagine what it must be like for them to try and get their heads around this really big concept uh, that you're talking about right now. Uh, For example, uh, getting back to the the first point that you made there, the ability of places like Glassnode to aggregate uh, and then categorize different categories uh, of, of investors or traders. This is something that's completely novel to people who have been in, investing, for example, in the US equity space. The idea that you have this level of transparency where you can see the wallet addresses that are long-term holders uh, versus more Transactional. This is something that you could never see in, in equity markets. Uh, you could see the price action. You might be able to see what was happening beneath the surface on uh, a limit order book. So you could see the bids and asks. But the ability to aggregate addresses uh, by the, for example, the the volume or the amount of time that they held from this is something that's a completely new field that's only just emerging right now. Yeah, it's it's incredibly
1: um, yeah, it's incredibly exciting. Um, field um, you know and it's like when you talk about when you talk about um, you know say equities all we have unless you're an analyst from a, a major hedge fund where you can go into the company and talk to to um, people which the public don't get access to you know they can't walk into a high level um, company you know <laughs> meeting and, and ask some questions but like you um, so you know, in traditional markets we're left with technical analysis, just looking at the way the, the price moves um, and ascertaining and you know from that chart how much volume is moving, all sorts of metrics around how this price is moving, you know like if, if it's going down and it gets gobbled up, it, it rejects and goes higher, and you go, "Oh, there's demand there." So that's kind of like a secondhand inference of demand and supply. Um, But that's that demand and supply is actually happening in the markets. Those are by and, and the speculators dominate the market, right? They, the price action of an equity or any commodity is, is driven by speculators over the short term. Right. And so the price can go anywhere in the short term based on this short term speculative demand and supply. But what we look at here, like the analyst that goes into a Fortune five hundred, is we look at the fundamentals. Um I'm not interested in um what the speculators are doing. I'm interested in what the investors are doing and um the length of the time they're holding. Uh so that's like looking at, you know, the next Apple iPhone or, or whatnot, because like you're looking at long-term fundamentals of will this company be profitable, not trading these tiny speculative signals. Um, and so this stuff is much more reliable, um, but it's more reliable on the longer time frames, you know, in the multiple weeks to the macro um, cyclical nature. Um, over the short time frame, the um, you know speculators and that technical analysis on the exchanges become very much dominant. Um, But there is this kind of intersection um, over multiple weeks. Maybe i put it like maybe two to three days, if you're really good with the latest metrics, we can get it down to a few days. into the weeks where that sort of area meets technical and fundamental, the on-chain stuff, you get this kind of really interesting area where the technicals say, "Oh, this looks terrible. The whole thing's bearish. All the speculators are selling off," and then you can see the investors coming in and are buying, and you just know that the speculators are going to get wrecked because the, the the floor is put down by the investors who are buying it up, and um, you know we, we've seen that um, a number of times, um, like what was just over a month or so ago when we were um, testing the twenty-eight, twenty-nine $29,000 range. Um, and everyone said it was going to 25 to 20,000 even lower. And there was unprecedented amount of accumulation and there was no way that could have dropped down to 20 at least maybe 25 would have been possible for a speculative, you know, um, short term drop, but long term it was a very reliable signal would go up. And you can see these kind of things that happen where the technicals um, that they're, they're wrong, you know, they, they, they like, I find technicals um, maybe a 60% reliable, um, whereas the on chain, um, when doing it well, you can get about 80% reliable. It is it is um, it, when the two disagree, the fundamentals um, have precedence. And so yeah, I find that now, if you are either an investor or even a speculator, you need to um, have some sort of look on chain to see what this other stuff is doing. Um, so, yeah, it's just another—it's another toolkit that's that's necessary in this market, at least with Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, somewhat. Um, a lot of the smaller um, alt markets, they don't have um, this data readily available, and. Um, honestly, the smaller the um, the size of the market, um, the less reliable or organic um, those fundamentals are. Because you know, the distribution of coins is very, very concentrated in those smaller markets. So, you know, like a eight hundred pound gorilla who owns you know one percent of the supply just might hit the sell button, and like your chart and all your fundamentals that are pointing one way reverse. Whereas um, you know, at least Bitcoin and Ethereum, those two things have very organic um, markets where no one owns too many of the coins. So it becomes more predictable.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty extraordinary correlation when you talk about 80%. Give us a sense of how you determine uh, that signal through the noise, when you start to construct these models, uh, how are you able to evaluate its predictive capacity about forward price action uh, or other forward uh, performance?
1: Oh, you know, I just, um, it's an evolving field. And like, I'm just speaking to my newsletter. Um, I launched in October, there's been 28 letters and then you know, each one goes on record, and so eighty um, percent of the short time frame stuff, which looks out over the next two to three weeks, um, have been reliable. Twenty um, percent have been wrong. Eighty percent have been correct. Um, the longer time frame stuff that 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 um, tends to be more reliable because it's easier. You know, <laughs> long time frame. You know, you can tell um, these long term movements, but like the short time frame stuff, the kind of stuff that a speculator might use. Um, to help them as part of the arsenal, um, that's that's the backtrace reliability, at least for my um, my analysis. Um, that, but in terms of, are you asking how how do you do that in terms of what what do I have in my toolkit or
0: the methods or? Um... Well, a little of both, really. How do you have it in your toolkit, uh, and what do you do to just sort of aggregate it from a statistical perspective to understand the accuracy? Uh, of what the data is telling you?
1: Well, it's a lot of it deals with backtraces. Type. You often like explore an idea. Um, you explore an idea, you run it on a test bench, um, and you grab the data and you go, Well, if this is true, I will, you know, build that model mathematically. And then let's plot what that signal says. And then we run it because we've got 12 years. That's the other thing with Bitcoin, you've got 12 years of backtrace. And then you go, this is what the signal said over 12 years. And um, the, like if it's promising and often often the last maybe two years to sometimes eight years, if you, it's really good, you know, it goes all the way back. It gives you a very, like a varied um, area in which it's worked because it just so happens that the network is in this kind of um, like, like evolution. And and so, you know, before a particular epoch, things were different. Like for example, um, NVT, where we looked at volume, it was quite reliable for
0: like eight years. This is the network but value to transaction ratio.
1: That's correct. Um, the ratio, the PE the ratio for Bitcoin, the ratio of investor um, volume to the market cap. And um, That worked very well up to maybe 2018, 2019. But since then, you know, I've had to add layers and layers of corrections on it um, to to really correct for this um, evolution of the Bitcoin network, which is all the activities moved to the exchanges. So, um, like, long-term investors are buying their coins and they're leaving it on Coinbase and that's that <laughs> and so when that long-term investor sells to another long-term investor they sell it on coinbase and someone else comes in you know then that's that's a long-term investor inside coinbase that's not a speculator so like there's this been massive move to um to exchanges. Um, We've had movements of, um, you know, coins into custody providers who are generating yield like BlockFi. So there's these kind of different products that are being um, introduced. And of course, the movement of coins become um, the, the behavior changes. So like when I used to see volume moving, it used to be in the 2016 era, people buying and selling between each other. Um, you know, maybe they send it to the exchange and then they send it and it comes out to someone else. So there's a maybe a third party in the way. But nowadays, like someone could send their coins to BlockFi to generate yield. They're not selling their coins. And then um, they might get their coins back later when they don't want to. Um, maybe they, you know, BlockFi just reduced their, um, their payout to like a tiny percent, less than 1%, like 0.1%, something like that so they may um, decide to recall their coins back into cold storage. And that previously looked like, um, like investor activity going from one investor to the other. But obviously, now in the changing face, that doesn't hold true. And so um, you kind of get false signals because that has happened. Um, So yeah, like, um, it's a constant. um, It's, it's, I wouldn't say cat and mouse game, but it's constant. like, like process of continually looking at what's happening with the network, trying to understand a particular facet, and then trying to build a metric around that, and then understanding what what that is, and sometimes you can get some pretty good signal of what's happening. Um, And but like the certainly the the demand and supply side of things is that that that's much more reliable than these other stuff that we look at, but they all come into it in different um, different times. You know, like um, we had the the mass exodus of mining out of China. And so suddenly we, you know, the, the mining metric started to become important as the hash rate started to fall off the network um, and the block started to process slower. Um, we needed to understand that because the volume started to um, the transaction rate started to reduce because the pro- the network was running at one third speed. So that stuff needed to be accounted for. Um, uh, and we needed to look at the coins that the miners had and seeing what they were doing. And some of them sold, um, which was a sign of them um, either um, getting out of business or um, selling to fund a relocation. So you see all sorts of stuff like that, which often does not um, matter until it matters, because our key event happened. And, um, you know, if you go to Glassnode, they must be up to like 400 different views into the network, 400 different charts, where they're looking at different aspects of that network. Um, And you as an analyst can get in there. And, (laughs) you know, you've got your Lego bricks, go to it, try and um, make sense of that stuff. Um, And then there's, you know, there's one very key metrics that other analysts have created, where you can just kind of look at it um, and and get kind of a glimpse of what's what's happening in the macro sense. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, one of the things that's so interesting, you talk about this is obviously, uh, an evolution. One of the things that's really fascinating to me, uh, is how as you discuss, things are changing, for example, uh, as fewer uh, transactions or fewer a lower percentage of transactions take place peer to peer, and more of them take place on exchanges. Uh, it's fascinating that that doesn't uh, sort of negate the ability to get a signal. It just changes it. It shifts the type of metrics that you look at. I imagine the fear would be uh, probably going into this that as things began to change, you would think, oh, gosh, what if we can't find the clear signal any longer? But it's just an ever-shifting uh, analysis of new net metrics, uh, new data. New analytics and more progressively complex analysis of the on chain data. Talk a little bit about what it's like uh, to sit in your chair as you see that evolution of data. Oh, well, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a fun
1: kind of profession in that um, it's not like I wake up in the morning and go, I've been thinking about this idea. And I'm I wonder if this will work. You know, sometimes that happens, but it seldom um creates results. Um usually what happens is, you know, I'm you know, as as an investor and a speculator myself, I'm constantly looking at these charts. And um, you know, I'm constantly looking at the normal charts that I look at. And um and whenever I see like um, something out of the norm um, you know like I get curious and then I'll have to look at some other metric that um, that that tries to so this really it's like um you know this was true like maybe four years ago. it was like I'm looking at some data um, and I'm because I'm like trying to figure out how to invest better, and like the data shows something. But the data also doesn't tell me the full answer. And I'm going, why is that? And I'm trying to answer a question. So I go and look at something else. Um, and then that, you dig into it, you flesh that out, you understand that, or try to, and then that might open another question. So it's just, a, um, my experience of it is a complete um, journey of like, curiosity and trying to figure out um, answers to anomalies you that may be happening. Um, so that's one often it's market driven as well, because someone on Twitter is talking about this, this thing right now, and then you need to like kind of look into it and see is it true or not. Um, I think of the last three days, people have been saying it's bearish, um, because the activity in the networks dropped out, you know, the mempool's pools empty, like um, this kind of cache of where all the transactions um, queue up before being processed is now empty. And normally it was full, it meant there's no demand in the network. You know? And, um, and so like there was arguments, I think plan B and other um, prominent Analyst was saying, it's, it's, uh, he put out one of my charts, which was the adoption of SegWit, you know, this technology that was implemented years ago, which adds efficiency to the network. and um, By the way,
0: for those who may not know, this is segregated witness. This is uh, effectively uh, a block scaling issue that happened. This was back in 2017, I think, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, effectively make the Bitcoin network uh, more, uh, co- more capacity. It was obviously very controversial at the time uh, and remains so in some quarters. Yeah, that's
1: right. It was very, very controversial. And then um, one of the um, wallet companies um, decided that they would um, no longer hold out (laughs) and adopt it now in 2021. And um, and so the adoption of Segwit boosted up to 80% from previously around the, what was it, 50s? And um and so suddenly the network is now eighty percent optimized for transactional throughput and so um the the transactions emptied. Um that was one theory, you know, and like so you can you have all these discussions, you end up going back to the data and trying to prove a point. Um and it's a learning exercise and sometimes you get a signal out of it. Like, um, you know, I found like a couple of years ago that the mempool was actually interesting to look at. That queue of transactions that, that pile up, if you look at that,
0: is... By the way, is, the mem- mempool is the transactions that have yet to be processed, that have been submitted, uh, but have not yet been aggregated onto a block for people who may not That's know correct, that,
1: yeah. It's the waiting room. And so you look at the waiting room and you, you, you see um, when it's empty versus when it's full, and um, it's... It's very seldom that you see a Bitcoin um, rally um, begin when the mempool's full. It nearly always happens when the mempool's empty. Um, so that's a nice signal, um, you know. And of course, there's reasons for it, um, because a lot of the volume is on the network is driven by um, speculation, and when when things are volatile. Um, there's more transactions on the network when the whole thing dies down because there's not much um, volatility, not good environment for trading, then there's not a lot of transactional demand and you'll see the mempool empty. And in those lulls, um, they are part of the, um, you know, that's the equivalent of Bitcoin's low volatility signal. You know, in traditional markets, you look at low volatility is an area in which you can expect a very large breakout afterwards volatility squeeze Um, Bitcoin also has the mempool squeeze Um, so yeah that I've never discussed that before publicly before but that's another example um, where you can you can look at different aspects of the network um, because this machine behaves um, according to investors and speculators in many different ways Um, and there's so many things you can look at and try and figure out whether there's signal in it Um, and it's it's driven by fundamental behavior. Willie,
0: really, we were talking off camera about some of these charts. Let's just dive in and walk through them.
1: Okay, yeah. I I think I'll start off with um Bitcoin Supply Shock, um, which is a metric um that uh Will Clemente, another um, popular analyst on on um on often seen on Twitter. Um he he first ran this ratio. Um which was, uh, essentially the ratio of, um, coins that were very liquid. Like we were talking earlier, these guys, you know, which I've nick- uh, nicknamed, um, Rick Astley's, so these guys that never going to let Bitcoin down, you know, never let, they'll, they'll never let Bitcoin go. Um, they'll hold on to their coins. So you run the ratio of those guys to the speculative guys, um, cause we can see that forensically on the blockchain. And so, um, here is the ratio. The green line is that 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 um, ratio, um, the ratio of the guys who aren't selling to the ratio of the guys who hold coins, and um, are, are likely to sell because they're speculators. And you can see that ratio tracks the blue line, which is the price, very closely, right? Um, And um, so this opened up this research into this whole family of supply shock, which is essentially the coins you're not going to be able to get divided by the coins you can get. Um, And Remember, these are coins that are sitting in people's wallets in cold storage. Um, And um, so, you know, you think about the process of which, um, you know, them selling. The first thing that happens is that they will start to move their coins to the exchange to sell. And so you already get a lead time here. And you can see this in the green that the the guys that had never sold started selling and they started losing their supply to the speculators. And so that started dropping. And then you see the price was rallying even though these guys were unloading their coins. So there was a a burst of liquidity finding itself onto the market, and that was forewarning for this, this, this crash. Um, and as you can see here, as you know, um, the end of the world had come and the sky was falling. If you were on Twitter and listening to all the um, you know, analysis from people on Twitter doing technical analysis mainly, they were going, This thing is just. Lower, 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 lower. This resistance is getting, this support's being weakened. Um, You can see the support, last support here. That fell. We expected to come down into this zone here. There's a bit of support there and a bit of support there. Um, Meanwhile, um, these guys, Rick Astley was buying, you know, he was, his long term investors were buying off speculative hands. And it was, we had a classic divergence of price. And there was no way that this could continue down while these guys were buying, because fundamentals always prevail. There's a, eventually there's a shortage of coins um, on speculative markets, and no one, you know, the price has to rally because the, there's a supply and demand mismatch. And so this is supply shock. Um, it's kind of figuring out demand and supply on the exchanges before the bids and asks go onto the order books, um, because you've seen it in the wallets. And so. This The purple line is another version that's just um, using the coins on the exchanges and the coins that aren't on the exchanges that are already locked away in wallets. And you see that both very much track price um, very closely, Um, slightly different, like um, it rises up further here, um, uh, more than the liquid. Um, So it's kind of a little bit more responsive at times. and then, you know, these other versions, where which is a, um, a different metric, very similar to the green line, which I won't go into. But, um, you know, obviously it's this really is saying crazy. right now the price is going up. And, like, one of the things that I might do is go, well, wow, that's interesting. Look, we're at this level of supply shock here. And, um, wow, the price was up in this 57000 range. range. Um, so that's just looking back and seeing how the market previously valued the, 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 the coins, um, at the civil, similar levels of demand and supply. And so you can run a
0: model. And so one day I just ran that model and did it automate. Before we switch screens here, this is just a really striking chart that you've just shown, this idea of being able to have information before the bids and the asks go in the order book. You talk about price divergence, but not just divergence in price, but also a divergence between uh, what the technical signals are saying uh, versus what the on-chain analytics are saying. When you see those two moving in different directions and you see the predictive power, it's a very... Compelling argument you've just made.
1: Correct. It's um, it is very um, it is very very. It's it's um, you know what's that movie? Do you remember the movie uh, where people went to um, jail before they committed the crime? It was um, it's, oh, it's kind of a Tom like Cruise movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's Tom Cruise movie. Um, you know that the this we're looking at things before the crime is is done. You know, like before the bids and asks, into the order book, and, um, you know, if you remember the purple line, that was the line that, which I've just closed the tab, but that was the line that um, was those coins moving into or out of the exchanges before the bids and ask get put in. And so if you see an influx of coins moving through exchanges, you know what's going to happen next, right? So um, that, that stuff's very um, accurate um, and reliable, and so... But going back off that, and you can look at that, that as, a, um, as a metric on demand and supply, you can do a look back and you can see, you know, these dots are the look backs. And uh, you can see right now, the price really needs to go up into this um, high 50 Thousand dollars range to normalize like There's a demand and supply imbalance currently. So if you guys are listening to this, and maybe it'll take a week or two before you're listening to this, um, the price should, if this is correct, should be up in the uh, on well on its way into the mid to high $50,000. We're currently sitting at $50,000 exactly. So this will be an example of um, a prediction, which you know, I'm making here on air on real vision. So this, this demand and supply model says we're going to, um, probably 58,000. Um, so that's one. Um, and like, here's, here's another, right? Um, this is Bitcoin, Bitcoin entities. So we can cluster all those wallets together. Um, and we can go, these are individual people. And like, right, what you're seeing right now is the buying and selling habits of whales, essentially, um, owners of 1000 Bitcoin or more. So that's $50 million of Bitcoin wealth or more. We're tracking their buying and selling habits. Um, so we're getting a high resolution view into the, into the, the blockchain to see just what these guys are doing. They're obviously old time, um, like, Bitcoin OGs from way back when they bought their coins cheap, or they may be um, hedge funds. Uh, So you can see here, there was a large uh, amount of buying um, in this zone here. And there was just a matter of time before um, this, this level would break out to higher levels. And what again, sitting in that zone right now, right inside here with a lot of whale buying. And so that's suggesting we'll go up. And I've already shown we're, we're likely to go to 58,000 because of that um, demand supply imbalance. And now we're getting a big shove by these large whale buyers. And then I'll take you to another view, which is the other end of the spectrum, which is the buying and selling habits of what we call the shrimps, the guys with less than one Bitcoin. And you can see that there, right? And you can see there. And if I pull the chart back all the way back to um, maybe 2016. And you can see that it's all green, mainly. Shrimps do not sell, they stack their sets, they accumulate and they accumulate. Um, It's a savings plan for them. Um, So these guys continually buy as a cohort, but you really want to see when their buying habits start to reduce. Because when they start to taper down, that is a start of a full-blown bear market for Bitcoin. So um, a lot of people that are probably new to Bitcoin, when we had this drop down into the, from the, you know, the 50s and 60s down into the 30s, they said, this is a bear market, it's over. Um, but the shrimps were telling us, no, it's not over. Um, we're not seeing this kind of reduction um, here where they're reducing their buying. Um, they're actually taking the opportunity to buy the dip. And so structurally, this was a bull market. On-chain said this was a bull market. Pricing also said it was a bear market. And you can see on-chain was correct. We did recover. Um, same thing with the COVID um, crash. This, this anomaly that happened on the market, um, the shrimps bought that hard, which is very, very compelling for the start of a new bull market. And so that's another view. Like the whales tend to be short time frame, um, short time frame focused. You can use them for signal on um, on the directional uh, move of Bitcoin over the next few days to weeks. But the macro, the shrimps dominate because we're talking about a sea of millions of people accumulating. Um, and, if, you know, that's a lot of those are new people coming into the network because, again, Bitcoin is um, growing at a phenomenal pace. Um, so, like, we're currently about 150 million people with exposure, direct exposure. Um, we're on track for 1 billion people Um in 2025, actually. So um, and that actual data we can get on chain as well, because we're tracking the growth of these participants and we can see and we can actually make a count because we can see it on the blockchain, how many people are coming in. And then, you know, you obviously have got to augment that data with, you know, surveys um, done at the exchanges to see what their growth rate is and um and we can actually see, you know, just how quickly this network is growing. In um, its, you know, cheat sheet here, it's it's growing faster than any other network in history, faster than the growth of mobile phones. So, Bitcoin will be near saturation in the next eight years, and that's multiple billions of people using it um, if the growth rate continues, which it has for twelve point seven years. So, very compelling data, um, all seen on chain. Um, so yeah, this is another heat map. This shows the buying and selling habits of the Rick Astley's, the long-term investors. Um, you can see very telling. They were, they were selling here. Um, they were responsible for, for this, this real run down in price. Um, and again, you can see the accumulation happening. So real high resolution views, um, into, into, um, demand and supply, um, of this network. And then um, what I'll show here is the, um, the 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 final in the supply shock family. You know, remember it's coins you cannot get versus the coins you can. And um, you can look into the network, and you can say, um, you know, there's actually a, a sea change of behavioural difference. Um, you can look at um, coins and how many you know days, months, years they've aged in the wallets before they next move. Um, like how long is is the investor holding their coins. And you can run a probability distribution of, um, you know, if it's a one-day-old coin, what's the probability of it's going to move tomorrow? Um, It's usually quite high. And as those coins age over time, the probability that it continues to move um, drops off. And there is a sea change that happens at um, this magic five-month mark, the 155 days there is a threshold that crosses where the probability of it moving starts to drop off um, rapidly. And so we use long-term holders in the, this definition as the coins that have been aged 155 days in the wallet because we know at that point there's, it's unlikely they'll move. Therefore, um, these are the coins you cannot buy. Anything older than five months, very low probability you'll be able to buy them because low the probability they'll sell. Um and so anything under that is um, high probability that you can get access to those coins. So we run that ratio and you get a really nice macro smooth um, chart, right? And so this is um, at peak long-term holders, peak amount of coins that you cannot buy. Um, and we're moving up into the zone here. And you can see every time we've had this peak, we run up. Right. this is these are um, accumulation bottoms of a bear market that drives the bull that's it there this is the reaccumulation bottom of of the, this bull market and we're now just entering the the second great reaccumulation phase of this um, bull market and you can see uh, I might I've marked it up in this this chart here um, and so this is the same chart I've marked it up And um, you can see this is very clearly these peak accumulation phases. And we're currently um, entering the zone here. And we don't know how long this will last for, but um, let's say it lasts for this amount of time. Maybe it's shorter. We do get a rally and that rally is multiple months and it's usually very powerful. And so there in itself is the chart um, backed by on-chain data quantitative data that says there's no bear season in sight. 2022 is going to be um, up only. And so if anyone's listening to this from the future, <laughs> you can see if this is correct as um, a v- validation of this on-chain um, kind of analysis of demand and supply. So um, yeah, there you, there you have it. Um, some of the that's the, this is the stuff that I like doing most um, these days because it's um, it was it's very fundamental markets are driven by demand and supply. So um, I really like looking at things that um, are proxies um, to the direct demand and supply that investors are exhibiting um, through their behavior in, in this network. Um, yeah, I think that's that's, uh, that's a summary of the most interesting things um, for me right now. I mean, we talked earlier about um, the the network um, of SegWit adoption. Um, and here's that chart here. And you can see as we went from 53% and that wallet provider suddenly adopted SegWit and we rocketed to now 70, 77%, um, the efficiency of the network went, went through the roof. And suddenly, you can see the blue line is um, the fees that are being paid to transact, um, that starts to drop off because the 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 mempool is essentially emptying, in spite of an uptick um, here. This mm. is an uptick of transactions going up through the network. So that's a that's another thing we can do and um, answer questions like why is the mempool empty? Why is the fee so low? Um, so there's all manner of um, analysis um, we can look at, and this is the most um you know debated right now over the last few weeks um so there you go
0: really extremely compelling charts there um impressive analysis uh someone who's just watching this for the first time uh, is probably trying to get their head around what they've just seen. But just <laughs> incredibly important, uh, interesting work that you are doing. Uh, and I expect this is something that we are going to see a lot more of. It's interesting, Willie, as you have these conversations, we talked about how you were very early to this game. Uh, this is something that you're still not hearing about if you're watching, you know, for example, cable news networks trying to get a sense of what's happening with Bitcoin price. This is something that is just beginning to break through. Yeah, exactly. It is,
1: it is, um, it's a, it's a really heartening for me because, you know, we were working on this stuff in 2016 and most of the really interesting, you know, like there was a, a miniature, you know, Cambrian explosion of on-chain indicators in 2017. Once NVT was put out there, um, we had many different, um, uh, metrics that, that came almost monthly and we had our first generation on-chain analysts and, um, and now you know, like I was just saying to friends um in twenty twenty and as we saw institutions start to come in and hedge funds start to come in, and we're actually using these metrics in live trading and investment decisions um and we're seeing um you know institutions using the metrics that we developed um back when it was like kind of a hobby, you know it was like fun curiosity, but now it's these some of these metrics are. Um, you know, foundational to how we look at um, how to deploy capital at, at the institutional level, it, it's been very heartening and that that kind of hit me in 2020. It was like, wow, you know, Renato did Soper, and look, we're using it daily now, and it's all. All over, um, you know, at least crypto Twitter are sharing the analysis, and a lot of those guys are running hedge funds as well. And so, like, it's being used day to day now. And I think um, any any um, fund uh, that that's entering the space without these kind of metrics are really flying half blind. Um, like, um, the, it's it's not. Like the news cycle, you know the news cycle is you know we used to call that fundamentals, like the the fundamentals of the regulatory environment, you know, or um, the fundamentals of Blackrock saying, yes, this is a valid investment. Um, this is a different kind of fundamental. this is like, well, that sounded bullish, but are investors really buying that's a different fundamental, and it's it's interesting to a point where people often ask me, what do I think of the macroeconomic environment? Um, is it risk on, risk off? Is it, you know, what is equities doing? Is correlations to this and that? And um, the thing is, the I don't need to um, look at other markets um, because, like, I'm not looking at, Um, Markets. I'm looking at investors reacting to the fundamental news. So um, if the news says one thing, I don't really care what happens. I care if the investors that hold this react in one way or the other. And so it's kind of a meta-analysis, but it's direct quantitative analysis like, oh, they're selling. Okay, it's bearish, right? Bearish news comes out and they're buying. Well, it's bullish. It's not bearish. So we can't always tell. Um, there's often you know, that, that you know, famous saying, um, you, know, you, you buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, and sometimes it flips the other way. The news comes out and people continue to buy and you can't tell. But with this stuff, it's, it's very quantitative. It's meta. I, I look at what the investors are doing, not what the markets are doing.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating point. Rather than looking at intra asset or inter asset correlations, you're looking at the actual data internally uh, from what is happening on chain. Uh, Willie, for people who have just watched this and may have had their worldview kind of shaken uh, by what you just said, what are your final thoughts that you'd like to leave our subscribers with, our viewers with, as we reach the end of this conversation?
1: Wow, that's pretty open. <laughs> it could be
0: anything. Um
1: I I think um, you know, if we really to zoom out, I think the bigger picture um to think about is like I, I wanna see if I can pull it up. Let's see if we can pull it up. Um so like, you know, as much as it's very useful if you're a speculator or even a investor over the next um year or so, um, on chain is, you know, critical to, to understanding if um you're going to have an invest, make an investment with your eyes wide open. Um, one of the things that we can also see with very high resolution is the very big picture. And what I've got in front of you here is the the growth rate of this network in terms of users. Um, and see this green line here um, it shows you um, how accurate we can get. This is the growth of Bitcoin in terms of users um, today. Um, there is 27.7 million um, active participants seen on the blockchain. Um, and this is what's seen as unique KYC identity verified accounts on exchanges. Um, so we're up in this um, well, it was 114 million in September, we're probably in the 150 million there. Um, so, you know, maybe 150 to 200 million um, people that have adopted Bitcoin. Um, and this this data, this is the on-chain clustering, forensic clustering, getting account. Look how accurate this is. This goes right down to, there was one person on the network in um, in January 2009, <laughs> Satoshi. So it's very high resolution. You, you would never get these these you know mobile accounts going right down to that level of accuracy back then. Um, but like the other thing I want to point out is what this research shows is the growth of the network. We're due to cross over more than the PayPal accounts and, um, you know, looks like tail end of next year um, by the looks of it, uh, maybe. But, like, if you project that out, we're at, by the end of this decade, we're now in the multiple billions of people um, really approaching the number of users on the internet. Um, world population, I'll turn that on. That's world population right now. And it is converging at a frightening rate. Um, let's just turn the mobile accounts off, and that's that. that green line is coming up, and we're ready to look at um, really getting close to um, the yeah. The world population's is there. Um, End of the decade, and that has huge ramifications. So that's the the passing thought I would I would leave is think about what that means um, both geopolitically, what um what it means economically when um like a new kind of monetary standard. If this continues, if this twelve year track continues and it doesn't have any kind of um, hiccup, we continue this track. We're in the last ten years of this reaching saturation, and that is often, you know, money is very, very much tied up to um, geopolitics, nation states, the way in which the world um, works. So uh, I'm looking at this, and it's a big zoomed out picture. And it's like, everything's about to change. Um, I don't know what that means. But I'm showing you the data that this thing is, look out, we're 150 million people, multiple billions possibly half the world um, by the end of this decade, possibly the majority of the world by the end of this decade. And that has huge ramifications. We're at this about 2%. It's going to be much higher. And um, that's the, the, the lingering, um, lingering message and thought I'd like um, people to think about right now.
0: Willy Wu, truly striking high resolution data sets. Thank you so much for joining us in Real Vision. And I hope you come back soon to walk us through these uh, data sets again, and to give us an update on your view of the world.
1: Fantastic. Um, absolutely, Ash, um, love to do that. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for, the, for the call.
0: Welcome to the end of the video. We know that on average, 85% of you who start a video on RealVision finish it. That's extraordinary. On Facebook, it would just be 4%. And that's because RealVision creates the most engaging content in the entire media world. Let us help you grow your business by making video content that really engages your customers. Email us at customvideo
1: at realvision.com.